If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 160, and we are recording on December 11th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot and and from Snow Days. Snow Days! So, um, yeah. <laughs> We've been stuck in this house for three days um, with my kids. I shoved them outside in several layers of clothing to play in the snow while we're recording this, but it is entirely likely that they will run back in here yelling at some point. So everyone just, life is happening. We'll gird ourselves. We didn't get any of the snow up here, which I guess is is fine. And also, I mean, whatever. It's better for moving around and doing things, which... <laughs> yeah, if schools could stay open, I would be fine with the yeah. snow. But them being home from school for, for, for several days in a row is a lot. They're a lot. Yeah. They're just... Surprise! They have so many limbs and, <laughs> and voices and opinions. They have opinions, Jen! How dare they? <laughs> How dare. <laughs> what are you reading? Um, I have started The Voyage Out by Virginia Woolf. I think I mentioned this last time mm. uh, we were recording, but yeah, I have decided to read Virginia Woolf over the holidays. I don't... It was a dumb idea. Actually, The Voyage Out is not that bad. It's her first novel, and it was like way before she got into that stream of consciousness style that she's like more famous for. It's very traditionally Victorian, which was surprising to me. Mm. Um, like, you're getting a little bit of the internal thought, like, more of the internal monologues of the characters than you would with, like, Dickens. But it was still very, like, it opened with a really long compound sentence about the weather that was funny. And I was like, is this the right book? Did I pick up the right <laughs> book? This doesn't seem correct. Um, but it is, it is, it's so far, it's good. That's what I'm doing. What about you? I am reading a weird fantasy Western that was pitched to me as like the inclusive feminist fantasy Western. So, of course, I was like, well, tell me more. I will read this. Um, it's called Gunsmoke and Glamour by Hilary Monahan. And so far, I think I'm like a third of the way through. And so far, I'm liking it. It's really raunchy. Like, it's like <laughs> super raunchy. Um, and weirdly, I just finished watching the first season of Deadwood for the mm. first time. And so, like, I have, you know, sort of that in my head. And this is, like, way more, way more fun than that because um, there's, like, fairies and, you know, uh, magic and witches. And, and but it is definitely more diverse than your average Western. Like, there's a trans female main character who's pretty great. Um, and I don't know. It's, it's like, a fun ride so far. We'll see how it goes. Um, if, it's, if I end up loving it, I will review it for sure for Swords and Spaceships. Um, but, yeah, so far so good. So, all right, let's see. We will get into the actual show part now. This is a recommendation show, as we said, which means you send us in your questions for what you should read next, what you should get for a friend or relative for a gift, what your book club should read, any and all of those things. And we will do our best to find a good recommendation for you. You can send them in either via email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can put them in the form that is at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode. 
If you need a response back by a certain date, please put time sensitive and then the date that you would like it back by, either in the subject line of the email or at the very top line of the form. We do our best to get to them. If we don't think we're going to get to it on the air, we might email you a response. Or if you sent in a question that we've answered a couple times, we might email you also. Um, We have some feedback from previous episodes. There's a suggestion for Lizzie from Munich who was looking for a book that was intelligent and went well written and interweaves the past and present. Uh, The Wreck is for the Maze at Windermere by Gregory Blake Smith. It has five different narratives scattered from the 17th century to today, all set in the same place. The people are different in each, but you see echoes of similar themes and ideas. And that is from Sybil from Insiders. And then from Sarah M. from Insiders, a suggestion for Jenny, who wanted fantasy or sci-fi books to cheer her up. Uh, Strange Practice by Vivian Shaw, as well as its sequel, Dreadful Company. It's urban fantasy set in London with a great main character, Dr. Greta Helsing, who is a physician who specializes in treating the undead. There's a bit of mystery in the first one involving a serial killer. So some dark plot points, but overall just very fun and even heartwarming. And there is a found family feel to it. All right. So I'm going to read our first question, and I'm going to then tell you about our first sponsor. <laughs> this and is the Jen eventually show. Amanda will say some things. Um, our first question is from Kathleen, who says, I'm looking for a wintertime book that is atmospheric and immersive that will make me feel the harshness of winter and want to cuddle up with my book and hot chocolate. I'm not looking for something heartwarming, just something reflective of the cold weather and set during Christmas time, if possible. The only book I can think of that is similar to the reading experience I'm thinking of is The Snow Child by Awen Ivy. All right, so let's see. Our first sponsor is us. It's the Read Harder Journal. <laughs> Hooray! It, uh, we created this. It is a reading log that consists of entry pages to record stats, impressions, and reviews of each book you read. And interspersed among these entry pages are 12 challenges inspired by our annual Read Harder Initiative, which began in 2015. And I think a lot of y'all have participated. Um, It has different – it's not the same prompts that are in either the 2018 or the 2019 Read Harder Challenge. These are ones designed specifically for the journal um, to give you some new challenges. And each one includes an inspiring quotation, an explanation of why the challenge will prove to be rewarding, and then five book recommendations to fulfill the challenge. So this is a great gift for readers. It's the only reading tracker that champions the activist approach to reading in quite this way. Um, There's a graph to track your reading over the course of the there's a fill in TBR pile, so all those bullet journals out, bullet journalers out there, <laughs> you're gonna like that part. Um, it's also a flexi bound journal, which is always nice, and there are illustrations throughout. The illustrations are gorgeous. So if you need a gift for a book nerd in your life, or you just need a gift for your own book nerding, the Read Harder Journal is here for you. Okay, so the question was not heartwarming, just books that are wintry that make you want to cuddle up with a book and hot chocolate. So what you got, Amanda? Um, I picked Two Old Women, an Alaskan legend of betrayal, courage, and survival by Velma Wallace. Um, And this is based on an Athabascan Indian legend, uh, which is a tribe of people who live in the upper Yukon River Valley in Alaska. Uh, It's about two old women, as I'm sure you guessed from the title, who are abandoned by their tribe during uh, a winter famine. Um, And the choice is made very intentionally. Like, we, there's not enough food for everyone. These old ladies don't serve any purpose. They just take up resources. We're going to leave them here to die. And so that's what they do. They leave the two main characters to die, and the tribe moves off. Um unexpectedly to everyone in in the tribe, the older women do not sit there and, um, you know, succumb 
to an early death, they decide that they want to live and they know how to do it. Um, so they resurrect these old skills that they've, you know, acquired over a lifetime of knowledge, hunting, trapping, um, you know, starting fires, building shelters, all this kind of stuff. And they kick butt. Like, they travel together. Uh, they become really, really close friends. They were, like, acquaintances before this happened to them. And they, they become really, really tight. Um, and they not only survive the winter, they end up thriving. They establish a really... Um, oh, like, I guess efficient is kind of the word that I'm looking for. Efficient uh, system of hunting and preserving food. This, the shelter that they set up um, is kind of perfect. And they, they do so well that they can even go back to enjoying a little bit of leisure time together. Um, and it is it is hard for them. You know, they're, they're kind of out of shape. Um, a lot of the skills that they learned over their lifetime, they haven't forgotten, but they're, you know, rusty. So the first bit of the book is them... Um, retraining themselves on how to do all of these things. And eventually the tribe, the tribe is having a terrible time. Like nothing is going right for them. They don't find any food, but then they start to feel bad about what they've done. So they go back to where they left the women um, to see if they can be rescued and the women are gone. And so they go off hunting for them. And when they find them, they're like doing all these amazing things and thriving and like don't need them at all. And it's just like very satisfying. Um, This does not take place around Christmas time. It doesn't have anything to do with Christmas, obviously. Um, but it's it's not heartwarming. It's just, like, cold. Like, you read this book and you just want to bury yourself under every Snuggie that could possibly exist <laughs> and have someone bring you a pot of stew that you did not hunt yourself. <laughs> so, that's Two Old Women by Velma Wallace. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I do want to read that. Okay, I picked Diane Setterfield's new book, Once Upon a River, which comes with trigger warnings for harm to children, suicide, and domestic violence. So clearly not a heart warmer, y'all. <laughs> um, but atmospheric is the word that I have seen show up every time anybody has talked about this book, and I have to agree. It is set on it is set on midwinter night, like the longest night of the year, so very winter. And it's in this inn along the Thames that's been there just kind of forever. And um, it is an inn that has a tradition of storytelling. Like the thing, like instead of like live music or whatever, like the thing that happens at this inn is that, you know, there's this, these storytellers. Sometimes it's like whoever's there and sometimes it's like a trained storyteller. But so this is, this is the inn. So clearly it's very focused on like storytelling and narrative, right? All right. So a stranger who's like face is all banged up and bloody stumbles into this in and is holding what looks like a dead child in his arms and so they like call the midwife and you know she comes running this is set during the late 1800s yeah so she comes running in she's working on the guy they put the kid in another room because as far as they know the kid is dead and it's sad but like they have to help this guy and then it turns out that the little girl is alive so it's like did she come back to life was she actually dead like and science is not super like is advanced but not so advanced it's not like you can stick her in an mri machine like <laughs> how what happened here and the midwife is one of the characters it switches perspectives quite a lot and the midwife is one of the people you get perspectives on and she's amazing she's an amazing character she was like raised in a convent and like studied medicine and then you know was the apprentice to this doctor who was very forward thinking and like left her all of his medical texts in in his will so she's like actually super well trained and is like determined to figure out what happened with this kid um and in the meantime the child isn't speaking it appears to be mute and is not really responsive to questions and so all of these different people are trying to claim the child and since the child is not confirming or denying anything 
there's like a lot of like, you know, who's going to pay off who and who has the resources and who's convinced that it's their kid and who's not sure. And it's just a whole weird, there's a lot going on. I'm not done yet. So I haven't gotten to the end, but if, if you've read Diane Setterfield's The 13th Tale, that like sort of eerie, atmospheric, you know, like, oh, like I'm so uncomfortable. Why is this so nerve wracking? Like not even that much has happened yet. Um, it's that kind of feelings. It definitely wants to, makes you want to snuggle up with a blanket and some like some hot cocoa or something boozy to like okay here we go I'm gonna get through this find out what happened what what is happening with this kid <laughs> so yeah it's it's a lot of um, atmosphere for you so again that's Once Upon a River by Diane Setterfield. All right. Question two is from Henry, who says, after a brief year or so hiatus from reading, my girlfriend got me back into reading in a big way. I'm hoping to find a book for her for Christmas or whenever to inspire her in return. Her favorite books are The Magician's Trilogy, World War Z, Neverwhere, Amber Spyglass, and of course, Harry Potter and The Prisoner of Azkaban. She also really likes uh, the look of quirky horror books like Meddling Kids by Edgar Cantero and is really into books with realistic female portrayal and which aren't washed with male-only lead characters. Uh, Other than that, she's hoping to write a thesis on apocalyptic fiction, so she obviously loves that too. All right, uh, I picked Fledgling by Octavia E. Butler, um, which is a creepy, 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 weird, creepy, weird vampire story um, about a young girl who wakes up in a hole in the ground. She's uh, in the body of like a 10-year-old, I think, Um, and she wakes up naked with like a concussion, no recollection of what's happened to her, how she got there. Um, and But she does know that she has really superhuman abilities that she doesn't recognize as superhuman. Like she hunts down a deer and kills it with her bare hands and eats it. Um, and she sleeps all day, can't be out uh, in the sun. I'm sure you understand what sort of, she's a vampire, I already said it. Um, and as the book is progressing, she takes on a human, I don't, even, I don't remember the term, symbiote I think is what they call it in the book. Um, essentially a familiar who watches over her. And I will say that I never know how or if this book deserves a trigger warning for this, but there... The, the main character's relationship with the adult man who takes care of her is sexual, and the the main character is in the body of a 10-year-old, but she's actually in her 50s. So if that's a thing that you think would bother your girlfriend um, or that she, like, would be triggered by or wouldn't want to read, then I have said that that has happened. It's a, it's a weird. It's, like, weird and hard to get past. Um, but as she recovers her memory... With the help of um, this man who's taking care of her and other human beings who she takes under her wing, um, she finds her family and realizes that she was genetically modified by her existing vampire family. She's black, whereas most of the vampires, all of the other vampires in the book are white, um, and they have genetically modified modified her in this way so that she can withstand being in the sun a little bit longer. Um, so the book is both, you know, horror and uh, scary, paranormal kind of sci-fi, um, but it's also about power dynamics a lot and about race uh, and racism. Um, and it's just very unsettling. So that's Fledgling by Octavia E. Butler. Cosign all the things I may have said about that one. Um, I picked Severance by Ling Ma, which is one of the books that is just showing up all over all over the best of list this year. And I think for good reason. This was a really fascinating book. And I picked it specifically because you wanted realistic female film excuse me, realistic female portrayal. And that there's a thesis on apocalyptic fiction in the works. So this is an end of civilization story. Um, 
it is a satire. It is a really dry satire. Like, oh, it's so dry. I kind of love it, but it's also like, wow. Um, like, it'll cut you. Um, it is about a young woman, like a millennial named Candace Chen, who has this sort of nothing job um, doing production on, like, overseas production on Bibles. Um, and she is, like, very much just sort of drifting through her life and is totally fine with that. Like, she likes her routine. She just, like, is doing her things and, you know, not really looking for any greater life purpose, although she does occasionally feel like something is missing. Um, And then there's this plague that starts overseas and then sweeps around the world and um, people are dying. And and this plague also produces in some of the people who get it weird, repetitious, like, almost zombie-like behavior. Um, And so she knows it's happening, but she kind of isn't paying enough attention to realize exactly how big of a deal it is. And she just keeps working. Um, And then suddenly, like, nobody's answering the phones at corporate headquarters and nobody's answering her emails and nobody else is ever coming into the office. And she kind of, like, looks around and realizes she's one of the few remaining people in New York City. And there's, like, nobody else around and and this is it like she's like apparently a survivor of a deadly plague apocalypse and didn't even realize it was happening um and so she starts to leave new york and falls in with this group and you know you get sort of her with this group and then the backstory of how she got to new york and into that job and why she was so content with that routine um and it's really it is just like about like that office drone life in a lot of ways Um, but it's also about like choices and why sometimes it feels just so much better easier to do what's familiar and comfortable than to make any big choices and um it's about like art and what does it mean to try to create art or to give up on your art like it's about a lot of things uh, it's a, like a little bit of a coming of age story like but and you know it, it, there's just a lot going on whereas on the surface it looks like not a lot is happening so I thought it was really fascinating I really enjoyed it I loved the ending um yeah I just thought I just thought it was just beautifully done and I think it's a debut and that's really interesting too so Again, that's Severance by Ling Ma. Uh, Oh, it's still me. Oh, it's still me? Okay. Uh, Next question is from Jean, who says, I'm looking for a book for my father-in-law and my father-in-law's partner. My father-in-law likes inspirational books that can also be applied to business. His partner is kind of a cowboy. I was thinking of a book about the outdoors or a contemporary book about cowboys. If you could help, I would greatly appreciate it. Amanda, what you got? I want to hang out with them. I know. <laughs> okay. Um, I picked a book for your father-in-law, the, the father-in-law who likes inspirational books that can be applied to business. I picked Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less by um, Greg McCohen, which has been like making the rounds of, you know, people who read leadershipy management type life philosophy books over the past two years or so. Um, and it is a book about um, not just you know, not doing, not taking on too much or um, overextending yourself, but about like literally finding the most essential parts of any project or, um, you know, goal that you have, and then just not doing the rest of it. And then like, if you let yourself get there and applying that to all parts of your life, doing only what's essential and letting everything else just kind of take care of itself or not, um, instead of finding yourself in a place where like things aren't getting taken care of, what you'll find is that 
uh, you're you're doing the things that move you forward, and the other stuff isn't taking up your time. So it's kind of a a bookish restatement of the eighty twenty principle. Which, uh, since your father in law reads a lot of business books, he's probably read that one also. But the idea being that like twenty percent of your labor produces eighty percent of the results. Um, and this is a more kind of philosophical restatement of that idea, I think. Um, and so it's about like setting your own agenda, not letting other people. Um, give you agenda items that you don't need to do to get your own work done. I have a, a, a uh, I have a few like mm, asterisks about this book. Like, how do you do that kind of thing when you are trying to work on a team, like a team project? Mm. Um, it does seem very much geared toward people who are in C suites um, or people who are in upper level management who don't necessarily have to like PM a lot of stuff. But the essentialism ideas I took out of this book, I applied more to my home life really like only like in the raising of my kids only really focusing on making sure they had the essentials you know be kind (laughs) do your work don't be lazy and everything else will take care of itself so uh even if it doesn't necessarily apply to your father-in-law's like business life it's still an interesting read and can be used you know outside of that so that's essentialism the disciplined pursuit of less by greg mccohen nice I picked for the cowboy friend, uh, <laughs> partner-in-law, partner-in-law, father-in-law's partner. There we go. I picked the, six, the Sisters Brothers by Patrick DeWitt, which I read when it first came out. Oh, yeah. Back in 2011. Um, this book is a dark Western comedy. Um, there's a lot of like shooting and like, you know, assassinating. <laughs> and it's really fun, uh, fun in that very dark way. It's about two brothers uh, who are named Eli and Charlie sisters. And they have been ordered uh, like to basically put a hit has been put out on this guy. Commodore, who's in charge of these guys, has ordered them to do it, and they're off to, you know, go to this gold mining claim outside of Sacramento um, to do this hit, basically. And um, and one of the brothers is, like, really, like, a cold-hearted killer. Um, but the other one is starting to think, like, hmm, like, maybe I shouldn't shoot and torture people for money. Like, what if, what if I didn't do that? <laughs> What what if I retired and just like did other things? Um, and so, you know, and then this job goes dramatically wrong. And it is very like, like it alternates between like both grisly and funny and like or one or the other. Like it, 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 it hops around a lot in tone. Um, but I think it would definitely be, it's, it is a very contemporary take on the Western um and a movie version of this came out in September of this year that looks pretty good, although I haven't seen it yet. So there's like if he's like a kind of guy who likes to, you know, compare the book to the movie, it's totally possible to do. And the book is short. It's like eh, 300 ish pages. I mean, that, I guess that's not so short, but it's definitely not like a brick. So, you know, you didn't say how much he read fiction, but I think this is a very accessible read, even if it's not somebody who's like loves to read all the time. Like this is a really quick one. It's very engaging and very entertaining in that very dark way. So again, that's The Sisters Brothers by Patrick DeWitt. All right. Question four is from Jean, who says, I'm starting to look for book gifts for the holidays and need help finding a book for one friend in particular. She really loves jigsaw puzzles. So I'm wondering if there are any books you've enjoyed that include a female character who loves jigsaw puzzles, something like the Friday Night Knitting Club, but for puzzlers, maybe does such a thing exist? Okay. I cheated 
super <laughs> hard on this one. Super hard. Um, my, my pick is both not a book and not about a woman. But it's what? kind of... It works. It works. Okay. It's The Death Safe by Edgar Wallace. So this... Edgar Wallace was a mystery writer in the 20s and 30s. And he participated in Double Day's Crime Club, which existed like through the 1990s. But when he did it, you would sign up for this club and you would get a, a jigsaw puzzle and a little, like, a short story or a novella written by a mystery author. And you would read the book, and then the puzzle was a clue. So, like, you would read the book, do the puzzle, and then the puzzle would give you the clues to solve the mystery in the little book that you got. So, um, The Death Safe by Edgar Wallace, is st- it's not still in print, obviously, but you can find it in a lot of online used bookstores. And I think that this would be a really cool gift for a reader who likes puzzles so it's you know it's just a it's a 16 page little novella that Edgar Wallace wrote that is a mystery about a guy named Bash who like he's a safe breaker and he's always worked alone and it's like very noir in that kind of way um and then you read the little booklet and then you put the puzzle together and some of the the online sources that I found have incomplete puzzles so just make sure that you're like reading the fine print if you do end up getting this for her and make sure they have the complete puzzle um but one side is a clue to uh, helping you solve the crime and then if you flip the puzzle over because it's double-sided the answer is on the back um and really any of these uh puzzles from the crime club would would work for a gift for somebody like this but the but the one i'm talking about right now is the death safe by edgar wallace edgar wallace did several of these puzzle book combos for the crime club so you could probably just google edgar wallace crime club and you'd get a bunch and that is my story (laughs) i did not know that existed that is fascinating it's super cool and so nerdy (laughs) wow that is ultra nerdy i love it um so I have, it's not a novel, but it is a story, a book about a female character who loves jigsaw puzzles. It's The Pattern in the Carpet, A Personal History with Jigsaws by Margaret Drabble. Um, Drabble is a novelist who actually did not realize is the sister of A.S. Byatt. That is not a thing Whoa. that I knew. But yeah, I know, right before starting to read this book. Um I know, mind totally blown. And also, there's some, she like, she has some kind of digs at her family in this book. So there's like a little bit of like juicy literary gossip in here, family gossip. Um, but this, as you might guess, is about her longstanding love of jigsaw puzzles. It's also, it is a memoir about family because, um, she was sort of introduced to jigsaws by her Auntie Phyllis, um, Phil, who she calls Auntie Phil. And, um, they would spend like, you know, childhood visits visits at her house she was a spinster aunt um and like they would go to her house and visit her and they would play games and do jigsaws and and this continued throughout her life so like even you know as she and her aunt both got older this was just a relationship that continued and she's she's talking in this memoir not just about puzzles she's also talking about like family dynamics and like her mother's depression and how that shaped her own life and a little bit about her writing life um but it's very much this sort of chronicle of her beloved aunt and and that relationship and and like the fascination of jigsaw puzzles and like her own theories about like you know the best ways to put them together and you know what kinds of you know all of the little trivia surrounding jigsaws and where they got their start and the history of their development and all of this stuff so it's a lot of different things but it is so sweet it's so just sort of charming um, and it is really interesting in that I like did not know any of these this family history. So, and I am a jigsaw puzzler. I love jig, jigsaw puzzles also. And this book makes me want to like 
get out like a million of them and just put them all over my house. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, that is The Pattern in the Carpet, A Personal History with Jigsaws by Margaret Drabble. All right. We're going to talk about our second sponsor really quickly, which again is us. It's our nonfiction giveaway. We're giving away 10 of our favorite works of nonfiction of 2018, um, including Educated by Tara Westover, One Person, No Vote by Carol Anderson, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which you all have heard of by now by Michelle McNamara, and a whole bunch more. So to enter, you just sign up for a True Story, which is our nonfiction newsletter for news, book recommendations, nonfiction deals that are happening around the web, and um, lots more than that. So you can go to bookriot.com slash nonfiction giveaway to enter. And if you are already signed up for the True Story newsletter, you can still enter. We will automatically filter out um, double signups, but we'll keep your entry. So yeah, bookriot.com slash nonfiction giveaway to enter to win. Thanks, us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. Our next question is a long one. So I'm going to sum up. It is from Jennifer, who's looking for books for her dad and twin niece and nephew. Um, The dad uh, is interested in, has recommended in the past, um, Trinity by Leanne Uris, Sometimes a Great Notion by Ken Kesey, Dune by Frank Herbert, Steppenwolf by Herman Hesse, and Bean Trees by Barbara Kingsolver. Um, One of our favorite authors is Richard Wagamese, and we both admire Wab Kinu, but my dad struggled with his memoir. He enjoys books that spark conversation and has an interest in First Nations as is living in an area that is dominantly First Nations. Um... And then the twin niece and nephew are turning six, uh, are six turning seven in late January. Um, last year for their birthday, I gave them Iggy Peck Architect and Rosie Revere Engineer. They loved both these books. They love story time and interacting with the books. I was wondering if you had any other books along this vein with kids being creative and building or being artistic. Um, so we split this question up. I took the dad and boy, do I have a book for your dad. It is Moon of the Crested Snow by Wabgishik rice and this came out this year and i am just obsessed with it i think i've talked about it once or twice already on the show but it's so good and i think it's ideal because he is interested in sort of not only first nation authors but like his interest in like dune and steppenwolf by herman hesse and bean trees by barbara kingsolver like i feel all of those are sort of adjacent in different ways to this novel um it is about a small northern anishinaabe community um in canada where they are sort of they're aware that a big storm is coming and they have like electricity and cell towers and stuff but it's all relatively new to the community it's only recently you know been installed and a lot of the folks in the community still you know follow certain traditional ways and you know they hunt and the main character um is a young man who is uh, has a small family and he's like, you know, the first thing he's doing is like trying to bring down one last moose so they have plenty of meat in the freezer for the winter to come. So, uh, and so when the power goes out, and then the cell service goes out. They're like, oh, you know, things go out sometimes, like MBD. But then everything stops working. The satellite TV, the everything. Everything is out. And people start to panic, of course. And they can't get in touch with the outside world. And they start to realize, like, maybe something apocalyptic has happened but they don't know because they're so disconnected from the world at large so really what they're focusing on is just trying to like get their small community through the winter like do we have enough meat do we can we ration provisions like how are we going to deal with people who need heat like who can take in people if they have if they don't have enough stuff to survive um 
So, and then a stranger arrives um, and starts this whole chain of events that I will not get into because spoilers, but it's really sort of tense. Um, It's also really focused on these like small details that I love in this kind of fiction. Like it's not about like the big crazy action running from zombies or whatever, like shootouts. Like it's about like the nitty gritty of like how people are going to survive and how these people in particular who have this long tradition of living off the land and you know a lot of them have not been used to having you know technology be their be all and end all and so what does that look like it looks completely different from your average like especially american sort of apocalyptic civilization is collapsing what happens next um so i really loved it i thought the characters were great i love there's a little touch of folklore in there that comes through in an amazing way i thought it was just fantastic i i read the whole thing in one sitting um so i just tore right through it and i think your dad will get into it as well so that again is moon of the crusted snow by wabgishik rice okay i picked uh the book for the twin nieces and nephew or niece and nephew who are six Uh, i picked grace for gus by harry bliss i love this book so much it's a picture book kind of graphic novel almost it's a wordless picture almost entirely wordless picture book there are a few words at the beginning it's about a girl named grace she's the quiet girl in her class she doesn't have a lot of friends gus is the guinea pig that the the class like has you know the class pet um and the teacher is trying to raise money for the class to buy him like a hamster friend and so grace sets off one night she like sneaks out of the house and travels through what is very obviously like new york and starts like doing a bunch of creative things to raise money for gus like she performs her violin. she like busks on the side of the street with her violin she draws caricatures of um you know people like tourists for money and she raises a bunch of money uh for the you know her friend the class guinea pig and it's just super creative and interesting and I love how the book shows a kid being like really independent um, and going out and solving a problem since there are no words in the book uh, kids who like to really participate in a story I think would um, find that really interesting because then they can pretty much make up what the people are saying um, and say it out loud they can kind of write in their own text which is a a fun um, kind of exercise and for the adults who are you know quote-unquote reading this book to the kids there's a lot like tons of cameos of people you will recognize but that the kids probably won't recognize Uh, like she's on a subway uh in one scene performing um like a dance for money and there's like a really grumpy donald trump in the background looking like totally (laughs) po'd and just it's just hilarious um and other like famous new yorkers um make appearances also so that's grace for gus by harry bliss okay Question six is from Bex, who says, I'm looking for some help choosing a... Oh, my kids are in the house. (laughs) Please excuse the yelling. Uh, I'm looking for help choosing a Christmas present for my mom. She loves Patricia Briggs and Kelly Armstrong and has also really enjoyed Carrie Vaughn, Ben Aronovich, Kim Harrison, and Rachel Vincent. Um, Let's see. Alona, Andrews, Melissa Marr, Jim Butcher, Holly Black, and Karen Chance got a meh reaction. Um, J.R. Ward and Laurel Hamilton are a no-go. Too much sex. Um, And then, let's see, there's a bunch of other authors she's tried. She spent August devouring Shauna McGuire's Toby Day series and has moved on to the cryptozoology set for the autumn. In order to pay her back for introducing me to Anne McCaffrey when I was 12. I'm looking for something that may have slipped under the radar that she will enjoy. Bonus if there are a lot of back catalogs for the author. Okay. Um, I'm just going to go. I picked Touched by an Alien by Jeannie Coach. 
which is just ridiculous. It is the first in a series. So you said you were looking for somebody with a, um, a back catalog that she could read. And look, let's see. There are. Oh, wow. There's like 13 of those. Yes. Yeah, well, 17. There's oh, well, yeah. there's 16 out now. The 17th is coming out um, next year. Uh, so this is that kind of urban fantasy science fiction with aliens um, kind of genre. And it's about a woman named Kitty. Her last name is Kat. Yes, that's real. She's a marketing manager. And she's like wrapping up her day of jury duty. She steps out of the courthouse and her uh, day is completely interrupted by like a huge winged alien monster attacking a bunch of people. Um, She like sprints into action and takes on the alien and, um, you know, kind of saves the day a bit. And then a very attractive an official looking government agent kind of appears beside her and whisks her off because she, how did she know how to do that? And is she involved in this alien invasion and all this kind of things? It turns out that aliens have been on the planet for a long time uh, and that she accidentally stepped into a war between, you know, like the good guys and the bad guys. The good guys all happen to look like supermodels, which does not hurt. There is, um, there is sex (laughs) in these books and it is, mostly ridiculous and hilarious and funny um but it's not like super serious like the other books that you mentioned um where like that are more kind of erotica i mean they're not erotica but they're you know taking themselves very seriously that is not happening here so even though there is sex in the books i don't think it will bother her because it's very like kind of funny um and said very tongue-in-cheek no pun intended so that's (laughs) touched by an alien by teeny code (laughs) i love that book it was so much fun um (laughs) Really delightful. Like Men in Black, but like romancy style a little mm. bit. Um, it's really enjoyable. Uh, okay, for this, I picked a much darker book. It's Borderline, which is the first in the Arcadia Project by Michelle Baker. And this book comes with trigger warnings for suicide and self-harm, which I'm going to touch on in my description. So if that's going to bug you, please feel free to skip ahead. Um, these are urban fantasy set in L.A. And there's a huge like sort of Hollywood focus to them, which I found I don't remember reading an urban fantasy that did that before. So I enjoyed that thoroughly. Um, it's basically like what if... All of the creative people in Hollywood either were inspired by elves or were actually elves. Whoops. Like, surprise. Um, Like, maybe Keanu Reeves is actually secretly an elf. Like, who knows? Um, I believe that. I know, right? It's very believable. (laughs) So, So that's sort of the baseline plot to this. And the main character, Millie, is a was an aspiring filmmaker who attempted suicide and um, in she did not die, but she did suffer the loss of both of her legs. So she is now um, a double amputee. And um, and so and and it's like depressed. Like she has she has borderline personality disorder, um, which is where the title comes from and um, is struggling with, you know, their depression and how she got into the situation. And she's recouping at this rehab facility. And this woman comes one day. And offers her a job that sounds way too good to be true. It's basically like, if you will come work for my weird secret organization, like, I can make your film career happen again. Um, But you need to, like, the thing that's about this job is that magic is real and you're going to have to deal with magic. And she's just like, "Mm, this is, like, I know I'm, like, dealing with mental illness, but, like, is this real? Like, this can't be real. Um, So she looks into it and, like, 
here we go. Like she takes the job because what else does she have to do and or lose and gets assigned to find this missing movie star who turns out is actually like a noble of the Seely court. Um, and so she's kind of using her experience in Hollywood to try to like, you know, who can she call? How can she find him? And then it, she stumbles into this much bigger plot. Um, and the organization that she's working for, the Arcadia Project, is made up of people who all have come there through different types of trauma. So a lot of them are dealing with physical disabilities or mental illness or, you know, all just different kinds of things. And it's a really motley crew. And they don't like they're not like one big happy family. Family. Like they get on each other's nerves, they trigger each other in different ways, but it's interesting to see how they do work together when it counts. And it's a really sort of like, there's a lot of jagged feelings in this book, but it feels really accurate. Like it feels like, yeah, in this situation with these personalities, like, yeah, that that's probably kind of how it would feel. Um, and Baker, who's the author herself, uh, is has borderline personality disorder and has written some really great pieces and done a lot of interviews about the research that she did around crafting these characters. And it's worth I think it's worth Googling those um, because they are very interesting. And she talks a lot about her process and, you know, trying to make sure she gets details right that she's not personally familiar with. Um, but, yeah, it's just a really original sort of different urban fantasy. I haven't read anything quite like it. I do think it is very Shauna McGuire adjacent. So I, if your mom is super into those, which sounds like she is, this would be a good next one. And there are three books in this series currently out. So it's not 13, but it's at least more than one. <laughs> so again, um, that is Borderline is the first in the Arcadia Project by Michelle Baker. And our last question is from Alex, who says, I'm looking for recommendations on what I call low urban fantasy, stories where wizards and golems and all manner of weird things exist in the contemporary world, but rather than being a separate secret world with large-scale organizations, they exist in isolation and largely in secret on the fringes of society. The magic isn't some separate arcane practice, but rather comes from or integrates everyday practices like poker or watching TV. Uh, the protagonists tend to be more morally gray and less than savory. I've only found a couple of works that have scratched this particular itch, and I would appreciate any suggestions that you could give. Also, books that do not feature straight white guys as a protagonist would be a nice change of pace. I'm just going to keep talking. You're asking for something very specific. <laughs> like, there, there's not a ton. This is not a big niche. Um but I did, I, we did our best, and I feel relatively happy with my pick for you. It's Last Call at the Nightshade Lounge by Paul Kruger, and it is an urban fantasy. It does involve magic that's part of, like, real-world practices. There is a big secret organization, though, so, you know fair warning. Um, it's about a college graduate named Bailey Chen who is like having failure to launch. Like she has graduated, she has her degree and kind of no job prospects. So she ends up moving back in with her parents in Chicago. She's kind of not really in the loop with any of her previous friends except for this one, you know, former best friend who things have been a little strained with. Um, but he has offered her a job as a bar back at his bar while she's trying to get her feet under her. And since she doesn't have any better prospects, she takes it. So one night, she accidentally discovers that Zane is part of a cadre of monster-fighting bartenders, and the way that they get their superpowers to fight these magical monsters is by mixing cocktails very specifically, using very specific ingredients. And the book actually, ha the novel has 
cocktail recipes in them with commentary, which is kind of delightful, especially if you're a cocktail nerd. Um, but Bailey's like, what the hell? Like, what is going on? Um, and she <clears throat> gets like sucked into this sort of underground world of monster fighting bartenders. And it's so much fun. Um, there is like a big, obviously, like bang them up plot uh, that all of this builds to. But what I really loved was the details about Chicago and mixing these drinks and like, you know, what the different cocktails, what powers the different cocktails can give you. And it feels so based in reality, but just with like a slight tweak. Um, it's really super enjoyable. And there's a really, it's a really diverse group of characters. This is definitely not like white people magic um, <laughs> in, in some. So I really, uh, I really think it will tickle your, you know, your, your, it will help scratch that itch. So again, that's Last Call at the Nightshade Lounge by Paul Kruger. All right. I picked Half Resurrection Blues by Daniel Jose Older, uh, which is the first book in the Bone Street Roomba series. And there, there is a big secret organization in this one, too. Sorry. Um, but the magic in the book is very um, interwoven into people's kind of everyday lives. So the main character's name is Carlos, and he works for the New York Council of the Dead. The New York Council of the Dead's job and, like, you know, raison d'etre is to maintain the separation between the living and the dead and make sure that balance is healthy um, and that nobody is upsetting it. And Carlos is a weird agent for this um, council because he is partially dead himself. He was like kind of halfway resurrected from his death. He doesn't remember dying and he doesn't remember his life before now. Um, and he's, so he thinks he's pretty much like the only in-betweener. It's what he calls himself out there. Uh, but then he discovers that there's another in-betweener who is a sorcerer who has um, called this horde of, I can't even say the word. And the word is like purposefully unpronounceable in the book. It's N-G-K-S. These like little spirits that are eliminate the established and, uh, you know, functionally harmless spirits of, of Brooklyn. And his, the in-betweener sorcerer's like ultimate plan is to open what's called an entrada, like a, a gateway between the world of the living and the world of the dead and, you know, throw everything into the ultimate chaos. Um, but like the, the, the real excellent character of this book is working class Brooklyn and like a working class Brooklyn that is resisting being hipsterized and gentrified. Um, and the side characters are amazing. Like there's, um, a Santeria healer who I think, if I remember correctly, is also like an ambulance driver, which is what Daniel Jose Older did uh, for work before he became a writer or before he became a professional writer. Um, and there's like a, a spirit who functions as like a librarian for all the other spirits who are just like going about their business and want a good book to read and this kind of thing. And, you know, the magic is very interwoven into, you know, people watching TV while they cast a spell or, uh, you know, going down to the bodega to get ingredients to make some kind of healing potion. And it's just very natural, um, which I really appreciate it. So that's Half Resurrection Blues by Daniel Jose Older. I just remembered that we had a low fantasy post go up on the site very recently. Um, mm. So I'm going to leave a link to that in the show notes as well, because that might give you some more ideas. Uh, thank you all for listening. That is our show. Um, 
you, <laughs> woo-hoo, you can leave a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts if you are so inclined. We love to see the feedback and it does help other folks to find the show. It juices that algorithm. So thank you in advance for that. Um, thank you to us for sponsoring our show today. You can find us on social media. I am on Twitter and Tumblr. Well, haha, Tumblr. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> as Jen IRL. It's Jen with two N's IRL. Uh, I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And we'll talk to you next time. 